Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, this is Sam. Before we start, this is a reminder about my book, Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks, which is now a bestseller on Amazon. Thanks to everyone who's bought it and given it such wonderful reviews so far. If you haven't bought it yet, then head over to Amazon where it's available in hardback, Kindle edition and audiobook version narrated by me. You can also buy signed and dedicated copies via my website, samdelaney.co.uk or from my local bookshop, barnesbookshop.co.uk if you call or email them they'll sort it out anyway on with this week's episode hello and welcome to the reset a mental health podcast without all the bollocks i'm sam delaney my guest this week is the podcaster tom davies after suffering his own mental health challenges throughout life tom hit a crisis after becoming a father for the first time He tried to struggle through in silence, but eventually discovered the power of sharing his problems with other people. After getting better, he decided to help others do the same by launching the Proper Mental Podcast, in which he talks to guests about a variety of mental health issues in a relaxed, accessible style, not unlike the reset. In fact, Tom and I have a huge amount in common. He's a great bloke, which I found out after appearing on his pod a few weeks back. Now he's agreed to come on mine. Like I say, I love his work. And I was delighted to hear more about his story. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Tom, welcome to the reset. Oh, mate, thanks you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's uh, lovely to see you again. Yeah, it's great to see you again. I was uh, honoured to be on the Proper Mental podcast uh, last month. Really enjoyed doing it. Thanks for having me on. And it's great that um, it's great that you've agreed to return the favour and come come on to to the reset. It's lovely to have you here. Proper Mental is a fantastic podcast. Um, you know, I love the way in which you deal with things in in such a straightforward, warm-hearted, conversational way. Um, but today, I'm interested. You're you're very good at drawing out other people's stories, but we're here to talk about your story today. Um, and I guess the life experiences you had that eventually led you towards deciding that you were going to launch this podcast and, and start trying to you know, help others. What, what was your own personal experience that led to that? 
It's um, a really interesting way you put that actually, mate, because, um, you know, when you talk about the life experiences leading up to something, you know, and when I think about my, my own, um, my own mental health, which is what inspired me to to start the show really is there's kind of, there was the thing that happened and then there was everything that led up to the thing, you know, and yeah. as the, I think is quite common, um, is that all the stuff that led up to it, I had no idea that that was going yeah. on. Right. Yeah. So, but in a, in a nutshell, uh, my son was born in 2016 and, uh, the sort of the wheels came off with regards to my mental health when that happened, it was just, I think it was just too, too big. And I wasn't in the right place to absorb the changes that comes when you bring a, bring a baby home, you know? Mm. And I started really struggling with my mental health. At that point, I had no idea what mental health was. I yeah. had no interest in it. I didn't, you know, I'd never read a book about mental health. I'd never heard anyone, you know, I, quite often in the more like celebrity driven media you know people talk about mental health just before a, a book that tour or something you know and i kind of yeah. felt a little bit cynical about the whole mental health thing if i'm being honest and mm. um but yeah i really started struggling i started struggling with anger management with stress there was a lot of tears i've never considered myself a crier um and suddenly i was crying all the time and i couldn't stop um and things just got kind of got worse and worse and um yeah, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. And I, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know who to ask for help. I didn't have the words to ask for help. You know, I was just kind of lost in it. And that went on for a long time. Um, and somewhere along that path, I started having suicidal thoughts. And I started having quite a, I, I became obsessed with suicide, really. Um, whether it was like planning my own or some of the sort of well-known names who have died by suicide. I became obsessed with with them and reading about their stories. And um, that kind of overtook my life to some extent, really. And um, I had a, a, a day when I left the, the house with that intention. And, um, and I didn't for a few different reasons. Um, weirdly, I'm like these things sometimes just pass, you know, you, you go out expecting to do one thing and then you come home and it's when you get home, you go, hmm. Didn't expect to be coming home today. I wonder when that shifted, you know? Um, and that, yeah. And that kind of scared me into therapy. And then I started going down that route and really I like muddled through mate for about four years. Um, just kind of good days and bad days and, um, yeah, up times and down times. And then I had another breakdown. I don't like to use the word breakdown. It sounds too, too big, too explosive. And that wasn't really the case for me, but it's the only really word I've, I've got for it. And um, yeah, I, this time was worse and uh, uh, more more tears and more stress and more more anger. Um, and I, I, again, started flirting with suicides. And I had a had a date set and I had a plan and I'd written my letter and all that stuff, mate. And um, yeah, and I was, it was kind of by accident that that didn't happen. It was a conversation I had with a family member who just happened to an auntie of mine who just happened to sort of talk about. I think she spotted in me I wasn't well that day, you know. And she just happened to tell me about some of her own experiences with mental health. I had no idea that she'd been poorly like that at all. I had no idea that someone as uh, as confident and as vibrant as her could be poorly, you know? And um, yeah, she talked to me about medication that day and she didn't tell me to go and take it, but she told me about how she'd taken it and how it had helped. And I kind of looked at all the things I'd been doing up until that point, whether it be therapy and yoga and meditation and all the stuff. I mean, I did everything. You name it, I've tried it. I was even vegan for a bit to try and fix my mental health, you know, like I, I did everything. And uh, I'd never tried medication. Um, and in this this note I'd written to my kids, I'd put, you know, like daddy tried everything. And, and I realized that I hadn't. 
Um, so yeah, so I went on medication. I phoned. I got well, got my wife to phone the doctor because I knew that if I said I'd do it, then I wouldn't. You know, my track record at that time was saying that I would do things and not doing them. So my wife kind of organised it for me, and I started meds, and that kind of brought me back to myself. Um, they they worked really quickly for me. They were very. Uh, it was a really important tool for me. And as I started to come back at this point, I was off work. I was just at home, just trying to get well. You know, all I was only leaving the house to go for walks and to go to therapy. Um. But I started to come back into myself. I started getting back on my feet, feel more like myself. And as part of my recovery, I I kind of, I suppose I I wanted to not shy away from what had happened to me, you know, and I wanted to talk about it. And when I bump into people in the street and they'd say, man, I've not seen you for ages. Where have you been, man? And then rather than kind of like look at the floor and make excuses and say, you know, you know, something's happened or whatever, I'd say, you know, yeah, I've been having some problems with my mental health and I haven't been very well, but you know, I'm much better and I'm coming back soon and that sort of stuff. And I realized the amount of times I'd say that and the person I said it to would say like, oh, mate, my sister has anxiety or, oh, you know, I had an uncle who died by suicide. And mm. you kind of, I felt so lonely and like I was the only one experiencing this stuff. And the more I talked about it, the more I speak to, spoke to people who knew exactly what I was talking about. And I didn't know this world existed. You know, I didn't have a clue that other people had, had gone through this stuff. And when I did talk to about people, I felt really good about it. You know, I felt seen, I felt a little normal, whatever that means, you know, but I felt, you know, I felt much better and I wanted to talk about it more. And that's kind of where the podcast started, really. I just started to try and uh, just try and talk about my experience, talk to other people about their experiences. And um, I never really thought anyone would listen. The, the original idea was just to kind of do a few things and put them on YouTube or whatever and just you know, and just, just to say I'd done it, but, um, yeah, it's grown and people seem to like it. And, um, now there's loads of episodes and it, and it's still, still going strong, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's kind of it in a nutshell, really, mate, how it came about. Well, it's a fantastic thing that you've done. Um, and there's a, you know, there's, but there's obviously a long painful story that kind of led you to this point. I mean, fatherhood took me by surprise as well. So I can really relate to that. And, I don't think it hit me as quickly, but I think that, or at least I was able to ignore or suppress the feelings um, that father gave me. I'm, I'm interested to know, though, in the build-up to becoming a father, how did you feel about it? Because me personally, I'm, I didn't see it coming at all. I, I was not one of these people you see in films. It's like a bit of a trope where someone finds out they're going to be a dad. Actually, there's a Shrek, one of the Shreks, I can't remember each one, where near the beginning... Of the film, I think it might be the third one. Fiona tells him, Look, I'm up the duff. And the rest of the film, he goes off on a quest with Donkey and the rest of the lads. And he's it totally and completely like rocks his brain. And he can't come to terms with this idea that he's suddenly going to be responsible for another person. That, that wasn't me. I was like, We were trying for a baby for ages when my wife finally got pregnant i was only like i am 100 percent ready for this i this is the only thing i want to do with my life i am i'm so ecstatic about it i cannot wait and then the baby comes along and probably the simplest way of saying it from my point of view was i was just underprepared mentally and emotionally for the difference it made to your life what was your experience in the build-up to being a dad 
I was kind of similar in in you know in a lot of ways there, Sam. I think you know I was definitely underprepared, but I also think like I don't know how you would be prepared, right? Like mm-hmm. you know I don't know how you how you can be for something like that. I as daft as it sounds, I've not really given it much thought. You know, <laughs> I've just kind of like, well, it's happening. You know, and um, you know, my wife we had been together for a long time at that point. We we're married. We we're like in a good position to be able to do it. So I didn't have any of those sorts of worries. And I was like, well, we'll just you know, kind of a little bit sort of like, well how hard can it be you know like if i'm being quite honest you know i was just like we'll we'll figure it out i often like you know i'd look at like you look around yourself and you think well you know you've all got everyone's got a mate who's like a little bit useless and then you'd think well he's doing a good job if he can do it i can do it do you know what i mean like (laughs) absolutely yeah it was a little little bit of uh of that going on but yeah i was pretty chilled about it i think i was certainly um I never thought I was ready. I knew I wouldn't sleep much. I was ready for getting up in the night. I was, you know, I was up for going shopping and getting the right nappies. And, you know, I was keen to be, you know, like involved and I was keen to do the best that I could. Um, but yeah, I really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was worried about it. No, it's just something, just something to get on with really. And so what, when, when did it hit you? When did it, when did the feelings start hitting you? You know, when once fatherhood came calling that you were struggling to cope. It, it's really tricky because so if you like describe or if I describe, I suppose my experience of like mental health, a lot of the the symptoms, a lot of the the physical stuff is really similar to what most people go through when they have a baby anyway. So I'd like now when my mental health plays up, I stop sleeping. I just go bump like my sleep just goes out the window and I'll, I'll be up for, for days on end, you know, grabbing an hour here and an hour there. So that was probably happening but we're also getting up with a baby in the night. So like, you know, how do you, how do you tell the difference? And I started feeling really, really stressed all the time. And I'm a natural warrior. I'm an overthinker and all of that's just ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. But of course it's going to ramp up, you know, like I, I didn't ask anyone for help, but I think if I'd have sat down and said, I'm feeling this and I'm thinking this, they'd go, yeah, you've just had a baby, man. Of course you're not sleeping. Of course you're scared. Of course you're burnt out. You know, that, that kind of, so it was all like mixed in together in this uh in this melting pot. And um, you know, how are you supposed to my wife just like, you know, I just watched her give birth. How am I supposed to like watch that and then a couple of days later just say to her, Oh, I'm feeling a bit down, babe? You know, like it just yeah. didn't seem she'd just been through this horrific, you know, massive effort. And it just didn't seem like I could uh I could talk about me, you know? Um so yeah, it's- it was all mixed up in there, mate. Do you think that, you know, still now, even in this sort of like more open era that we're living in, where conversations like this for you and I, maybe 10 years ago, neither of us would have been able to be having these conversations. Now we can't stop having them. Right. Great. That's great. But I do think that fatherhood is still not discussed quite enough for the reasons that you identify. You know, we know that it's the woman who bears the brunt physically, mentally, emotionally, all of those things. Therefore, you know, most of us feel like most blokes feel like for that exact reason, you don't feel like you've got the right to complain or express any discomfort or or anything like that. I also think like, you know, that men are competitive and, and I almost saw that like, we want, I I felt quite strongly that I wanted to be a really good dad. And if I'm honest, I think I wanted to be seen as a good dad. I wanted to be seen as capable and I didn't want to make it into a big deal. I, exactly as everything you're saying, I can really relate to you. You go, ah, oh, well, we'll figure it out. How hard can it be? That's what I thought. And I actually wanted to 
show that to the world, which meant that to me was a discouragement to admit to anyone that I was struggling because I thought, oh, everyone does it. So if if I say that I'm struggling, people are going to think, I don't know, I thought I'd be judged for that. And the truth is, it's probably because I would have judged other blokes for it. You know, and actually, I look back at some of my mates who were much more open about the struggle at the beginning of Fatherhood around the same time as me. And I'd take the piss out of them quite a lot because I'd be like, what are you moaning for? Or it's not that bad. Or think how bad it is for your missus or whatever. And, that you know, those chickens came home to roost for me. And I now think that, it you know, people's sh- dads should talk more honestly and openly about how tough it is for them and, and let go of that guilt that we feel towards, uh, you know, the mums. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if I'd have spoke to other dads around that time you know particularly like dad new dads or dads with smaller children a bit closer to it because you do kind of forget over time don't you how tough it is um i think that would have made a big big difference you know i found a lot as well that people react really weird right when you're gonna have a baby and i you know someone said oh you're someone at work or whatever and um they say you know oh i've heard you're you're having a baby yeah you're having a baby really excited yeah nice one and they'd say like Oh, that's it now. Life's going to change now. Life's not your own anymore. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. oh, right. What do you mean? And they go, well, you know, you go to gym a few nights a week, you know, that'll all have to stop. And I used to kind of get, that used to really piss me off. And I'd be like, no, yeah. it fucking won't. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like going yeah. to the gym. I want to go to the gym. Why is me going, you know, why is that going to have to stop? And I felt like people were always trying to tell me about all, like how bad it was going to be, but not the bad stuff, not the emotional stuff, just the, the inconvenience stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that car- that carries on. You know, When I had a little baby and people say to me, how are you getting on? I'd say, yeah, it's all right, you know, a bit rough without the sleep. And they'd go, just wait till you get to the terrible twos. Oh, you know? yeah. And then you yeah. have a two-year-old and they say, how's it going with the terrible twos? Yeah, yeah, it's going all right, yeah. And they go, oh, wait till you get a teenager. And you think, fuck, oh. when does this stop, you know? So yeah. I think like a little part of me was like, fuck you. I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to be a good dad and I'm still going to do all the things that I enjoy, you know? And like, it's kind of, I'm not just going to give up and sit on the telly and watch fucking EastEnders and go to work and not do anything else just because I'm a dad, you know? I wanted yeah. to continue to live a, a an active and creative and interesting life. But I think maybe I tried too hard as well, you know, like I didn't make a lot fucking like, you know, I've been up for like three nights in the hospital and then I think I went to the gym on the third day or so, you know, like ridiculous yeah. stuff. Like I was just like, yeah. no, I'm not stopping. I'm carrying on. I'm just going to do what I've always done. And uh, yeah, that definitely didn't help. Yeah. I mean, overwhelm is a, is a word that we hear a lot now. And the first time I heard it was when I was went to see a therapist, didn't hadn't really refused to allow myself to associate the way I was feeling with fatherhood. I couldn't bring myself to face up to that because I thought, well, I, you know, I love my child more than anything in the world. And I can't like, I don't want to feel as if I'm in some way blaming my kids or, you know, struggling, struggling with that aspect of my life, but they, they just explained to me overwhelmed. Do you, you know, and you say you try to carry on. I went through that as well. And it's not just, it's like your social life and your working life. Do you feel as if there's nothing that you need to compromise in order to also accommodate your life as a as a parent and a family man? But now I look back and I just laugh thinking, it's just, it's just by the laws of physics, you just cannot fit that many things. You can't continue at the same rate. Something has to give. I mean, for instance, I was still thinking it was fine. I would say, yeah, I probably won't go out in a week as much, but I'll still, I mean, I'll go to football on a Saturday because that's sacred, you know. And that would still be going to a football match and then 
staying in the pub till closing afterwards and coming home and being in a really bad state all day Sunday and having to struggle through childcare and stuff like that. And I look back and think, why was I putting myself through that? Because like you, I told my thing, I told myself that certain parts of my life had to remain sacred, you know, and it's just, it's just too much. You put too much into the jar, but I think it's hard, isn't it? For people to understand you. Do you have to learn by experience? I think maybe you do, maybe, you know, you have to go through the pain and the sort of, you know, the, the horrible experiences that you and I and many others have gone through before you actually put your foot on the gas, step back and think, I've got to change my life a little bit. Do you, mm. do, do you realize, do you think that, you know, you you needed to have the crisis that you had? I think I, I definitely needed to learn the hard way, you know, and that's tend to be how I've always learned stuff, you know, and that's, that's, that's cool. You know, it's fine. I'm cool with that. I think for me, like in the, in the build up to that, what I've since learned from, spending a long time in therapy, you know, I'm sort of like five or six years of regular therapy now. And I've really like unpicked myself and I have a really, I'm very self-aware. I kind of understand, you know, why more of why it happened. And I think where I was mentally at the, at the time, you know, I'd struggled with my mental health for a long time without knowing I was struggling with my mental health. I've had like anxiety since I was a kid. I had no idea that what I was experiencing was anxiety because I only knew that anxiety, I thought anxiety was just being like, I don't know, scared of going for job interviews or, you know, just being like a fearful person. And in some areas of my life, I can be really brave. And then in others, I can't. And I, I never really, you know, I never really knew that that was a, a, a like how anxiety presents for some people. Um, I've had periods of depression throughout my life and I didn't know that. I just thought I was weird, right? I just, I knew I thought too much. I knew I felt too much. And I knew that showing that to the people around me growing up would have been the worst possible thing that I could have done. Yeah. So I just kind of buried it. And I think when, when my son came along, there was no room. I didn't know who I was. I'd worn so many masks for so long that I didn't know who I was underneath it all. I was using all my emotional energy to keep everything suppressed and locked in and not look in the mirror and not address the way that I felt about myself. And then all of a sudden, like it was just too, too big, you know, when he arrived and your sleep goes out the window and there's all this extra pressure and all this extra worry. It was just too much. You know, the, I kind of, the way I describe it is that for many, many years, it was a, a leaking pipe in the basement and it just drip, 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 drip. And I never knew cause I never looked in the basement. And then that, leak just got bigger and bigger and bigger and I could still ignore it because who needs a basement anyway right and then that pipe just fucking burst and my basement flooded and the foundations were ruined and the fucking house collapsed you know it but that was like a, that was a 20 year leak you know at least um so I think it was yeah I had to learn the hard way but I wasn't in any position to learn the hard way and I think if it hadn't been that baby something would have got me whether it was a stressful job whether it was you know I don't know if my wife had, if we'd have had some problems, any big event, um, I was so full. I think it just one big thing would, would have, would have finished me. I think, I think that's the way it was going anyway. Mm. Um, it is weird, isn't it? Um, you know, the way that you don't realize that you'd been experiencing effectively an illness for loads of years, for years and years until a crisis forces you into a situation to realise it. And that thing of wearing a lot of masks is so common with blokes, isn't it? Like, you know, did you just, do you, you know, were you were you just learning from an early age to be okay, to 
pretend to be all right when you weren't? Is this something that you like hid from mates, for instance, growing up and stuff? Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So my entire life up until a few years ago was completely dedicated to flying under the radar. You know, like I'd do anything to be middle of the pack. You know, like I didn't want to be the worst because I'd stand out that way, but I didn't want to be the best. Even with things that I was good at, you know, I remember being like school sports days and being, you know, in the front of a race, you know, I was naturally quite athletic. I'm good at a lot of sports now. And, um, but, and I'd throw it, you know, if I was near the front, I'd throw it and finish in the middle, you know, and I used to do stuff like that all the time. Whenever I got good at something, I'd quit, you know, whenever I, uh, yeah, just any opportunity to just not be not be seen you know i mean wow. uh, think, things like fashions you know i was always up on the latest fashion because it's- ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd always look like everybody else. You know, it's all about blending in. Don't put your head above the uh, the parapet for any reason at all, good or bad. And yeah, I kind of like, I spent a long time doing that. A long, long time doing so in a way, just going through um, what you've been through, for, uh, you know, the crisis therapy, the process of recovery from all this, just has it made you a more confident person? Are you are you just more confident now in being yourself and knowing who you are? I'm more confident in accepting that I haven't got a handle on that. I'm kinder to myself about it. Um, and it's something I'm working on. You know, confidence is such a weird thing. I touched on it before. Someone said to me, you know, come and do a talk about your mental health. There's going to be 200 people there. I could, mate, I could do that standing on my head. I probably wouldn't even yeah. make notes. You know, I could just do it. If you said to me, oh, me and a couple of mates are going for a pizza. Do you fancy coming? That'd be hard for me. You know, yeah. anything that if I'm playing a role. So if I'm a mental health advocate on stage, that's great for me. I'm playing a role. I can be that yeah. coming out for pizza with you and your mates. And they're going to ask. Things like, oh, where are you from? What do you do? You're like talking yeah. about me. That's hard for me, you know? So yeah, the confidence to be myself. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm constantly trying to uh, to push myself, you know, to try and like lean into the discomfort, try and put myself in situations where I have to be a bit more, um, you know, a bit more open about me, show more of myself, even like podcasting and stuff, you know, it was pointed out to me or I came to the realization in therapy that I spent a long time distracting 
myself from talking about my mental health from doing my podcast and talking about mental health. It's like, I'll talk to you about yours and I'll talk to that person about theirs and all, and I can sit there and I know all the buzzwords and intellectually I can talk about all this stuff, but then I'm going to therapy and I'm not fucking telling the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like it's uh, the ways we find to keep tripping ourselves up or it's a, it's a complex stuff, but I suppose, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm learning to be, to be kinder to myself and to have compassion because at one point, like, little me he felt the need to be like that and there was a reason in that moment i don't know what that that reason is you know but um rather than hate myself for the way i am i try and be compassionate for the way that i was that way at some point it served me and it just doesn't serve me anymore you know and i'm trying to trying to shift it that way and this new you how have the how have for instance your mates responded to the way in which you've you've obviously changed you've grown and and what's the response been mostly positive. I have a really kind of unusual life when it comes to things like mates and stuff like that. My, um, and it, this, all this kind of like played, played into the the narrative of, of my life and what happens. But when I was a kid, I moved around loads, like lots and lots. Um, so every like, you know, five or six years we'd move somewhere else and I've lived in like different countries and I've lived all over. So I was the new kid in school a lot and I'd make friends and then I'd leave them behind and move on to the next place, you know? And then when I moved to the next school, it'd be in a different country and I'd have a different accent and I'd stand out again. And that kind of fed that need to, to, to blend in. Right. You don't want to be the, the yeah. weird new kid. Um, and yeah, I moved around a lot. So I had lots of friends, but I haven't had those lifetime friends that uh, you've known for like 20, 30 years, you know, the lads where you've all had your 18th together You've all been on your first lads holiday together. Then you had your 21st together. Then one of them gets married and you all have stag do's. You know, like I don't really, I don't really have that. And then through my twenties, I went traveling. I worked for a holiday company and I spent like nine years moving around um, Europe, doing different, different things. And of course it's seasonal. So you're meeting new people and you're meeting, you know, your social group changes every couple of years. Um, Through that, I met my wife and we moved like we live near Liverpool now. But I'm not from Liverpool. I just moved here because Kim's from here. So although I've got friends here, most of them are people I've met in the more recent times of my life, you know? So it's kind of loneliness and not having that that close circle definitely played a part in me me getting poorly. Um, but, you know, for the most part, people that I have known, the few people I have known for a long time are pretty kind of accepting. Um, as I'm sure you found as well, it's when you give up drink, that's when you really find out how people... Um, how people feel about you and whether they're willing to put up with the new, the new version of you. And um, yeah, I, I was always a big, big drinker. And um, yeah, that was when that went, that was really interesting. People's reactions to that, I think, but yeah, on the whole, you know, most people who meet me now, they meet this version of me and they, uh, and they seem all right with him. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a funny one as far as that's concerned for me. Yeah. It's a complicated story. And how important has sobriety been to you know, your mental health recovery? It's, I never felt physical anxiety till I sobered up. I never really, I never realized how much of a warrior I was until I sobered up. You know, like a lot of people, they they get sober and that's that's where life gets better. My life got a lot harder when I sobered up, a lot harder. And, uh, yeah, I said, well, I never tried to kill myself when I was drunk. <laughs> and then as soon as I sobered up, that uh, <laughs> that's when all that started happening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's a really, really weird one. Uh, drink for me was like my, 
that is the only way I could feel myself when I could step fully into myself and say, this is me. And, you know, I am going to be seen today. I'm not going to finish in the middle of the pack, you know, and that it, that was, it was my courage. It was my bravery. And then if anyone didn't like me for being myself, then I could turn around. Oh, it's the booze. I didn't mean that. The booze meant it, you know? Um, And when all that stopped, I kind of, I realized that every brave thing I'd done in my life, I'd done pissed. And then suddenly like even the small things doing sober were quite, were quite scary. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's, it's a weird one. It's a weird one, but yeah, I'm sort of, I'm coming up on seven years, seven years this July. So, um, round about when my son, son was born, that's when I managed to stop. Um, I've been trying for two years at that point before, before Reese came along. Um, and yeah, now it's just normal, you know, now I don't really, you know, I don't really think about being, I still kind of miss it a bit, but, um, yeah, again, it's all mixed in there somewhere. It's a big melting pot of, uh, of mess. Yeah. Well, well done on seven years, mate. And, and I have to say as well, like I was speaking to someone recently, he was talking about actually giving up weed, but it was a similar thing. He said, when I gave it up, that's when a lot of my anxieties came out because obviously you realise in retrospect you'd just been numbing them for a long time. But what I find, and what I congratulated him on, and I feel the same way about you, is that like some of us, I did, you know, I was lucky. I quite quickly, I think, started to see quite a lot of benefits like within the first few months of being sober in terms of my mood right i still when i had down times you know it took me a good few years and i'm still learning now um how to cope with those because obviously from the age of like 12 or whatever i'd been using drinking drugs to cope with them so i'd never learn until i was in my 40s right um but on the whole, I, I, you know, but I sort of, I really admire people like self who, who actually, it, it actually just in the short term made things more difficult, generally more difficult. And I suppose it's like, how did you manage not to relapse? Because when you're going through what sounds like complete hell, you know, uh, that led you, uh, you know, eventually to like suicidal thoughts, and you're going through that kind of hell. The, the urge to just think, well, I could just take this away now with a drink must be very, very strong. So do you remember how you got, how you got through those moments? Yeah. I mean, before I, before I, I stopped, I, I've been trying to stop for a long time and I'd, you know, I'd easily go like two or three months without having a drink. And then we'd be out somewhere and I'd be like, Oh, do you know, I might just have a beer. What's the worst that can happen? And and I'd have a beer and nothing would happen. And I'd think, well, there you go. Cracked it. I can go out and just have one beer. This is brilliant. And, you know, maybe I'd stay like that for another couple of weeks or another couple of months. And then eventually I'd end up like, you know, having 10 too many. And I, I kind of, when I, when I was drinking like a real lot all the time. So when I was a rep, you can drink every day and you can get up and crack a beer for breakfast and no one flinches like at all. It's completely normalized, but most people are there because they're having a summer holiday and I was drinking because it was going to like, uh, you know, allow me to be myself throughout the day. And it, for it was, it was fun and I loved it for so long. And then I just got too old and too tired and I'd find myself just acting like a dick, mate, you know, like getting into fucking arguments with people over nothing, you know, like wasting nights. I'd say really mean things to my missus sometimes. And I'd just wake up in the morning. I just fucking hate myself. And, you know, I've always hated myself and it was just more like self-loathing and self-hatred. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep 
acting like such a knob, you know? And then that's when I'd say, right, that's it. I'm not drinking again. And then eventually it, it would happen. And um, yeah, I think I just had enough of myself. And when I started getting poorly, it, it didn't feel like it would help, you know, cause I stopped cause I was fucking being a dick. And then when I was poorly, like I say, I had a lot of problems with anger and I had a lot of problems with like, yeah, emotionally like lashing out. And it's like, well, I was doing that when I was drunk. So if I throw that back in and I'm now doing it fucking sober in the middle of the day and I don't know why, I don't know what's happening. Like the last thing that this fire needs is a fucking can of petrol. You know, it just yeah. it never seemed like the appropriate uh, the appropriate solution. If anything, it probably helped me because I think if I'd have just gone on and just had a normal life of just kind of like going to work and coming home and knocking about and all the rest of it, it probably would have been so much easier to go, uh, you know, to go back and just start drinking again and stuff. But um, yeah, it just really was like, I just, yeah, it, I didn't really think, I didn't really think too much about it. It was like, I, I just knew that that is not what I fucking needed. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like, you know, like me, like so many people, and I'm sure so many people that you've spoken to on your pod, it's like crisis plays such an important role for, for all of us. And, you know, with both the drink and then going through the, you know, all of the, the other feelings that happen post fatherhood while simultaneously trying to wrestle with sobriety, you know, that's a perfect storm right there. I mean, have you learned that during your time doing the proper mental podcast that crisis is almost like it plays a role in everyone's sort of journey to sort of self-understanding, self-compassion, all those other things you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I've never really thought about it. That, that's a wonderful point. Yeah. But it, it does seem to change people, you know, it does sort of change people's um, outlook. You know, I think once you start to, care more about yourself and have compassion for yourself then you can't help but show compassion for others mm. and um when i really didn't like myself i didn't like other people and i'd i'd, I'd say things like oh i don't like people whenever say, i hear someone else saying, oh i just don't i just don't like people i'd think ah mm. you do everybody likes someone you just don't like yourself and the anger i had for myself would spill out to other people you know and i was very uh i wasn't compassionate for others i was very uh very quick to write people off or be like nah fuck that guy but um, yeah, the more I've learned to kind of love for myself, then you can't help but have more compassion for other people. You know, it's always the the, the best thing, isn't it? When you're like, when you're driving and you uh, maybe you, you you crunch a gear and you, you know, kangaroo the car and you go, oh, whoopsie. And then another time you're driving and the guy in front does it and you're like, God, you fucking prick, what are you doing? You know, like we, we let ourselves off the hook and we're so like mean to mean to other people, you know, but um it's yeah it's uh, yeah it's interesting but yeah a lot of people i've spoke to sorry about i'm waffling there but um yeah a lot of people it's changed it changed their perspective Ch for me it's changed everything like you know my my politics are so like left-leaning now you know like I've, I'm, I'm compassionate for everyone and not saying i was like you know hardcore the other way at all um the other time but um it makes you look through the, the world at, through different eyes i think and i think a lot See, of people would say the same it's easier to be um i mean empathy is something that I think we're all very capable of. And I think it's like, you know, natural for humans to be em empathic, but it 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 takes hard work sometimes for exactly the, re the way in which you just express that. You know, it's so easy to when someone stalls the car in front of you to just snap and swear. It's so much more of an effort to take a little pause and think, poor bastard, stalled the car there. <laughs> yeah. What a nightmare. I bet he's gutted, right? 
and to just sort of hold your hand up and say, don't worry about it, mate, you know, just take your time. It's, it's harder. It's just harder, isn't it? Like showing empathy is always more complex and harder than just reacting with judgment or anger. And whilst I think everyone can do it, I do think that having been through some sort of personal crisis yourself in whatever form that takes makes you much more motivated in those moments, doesn't it? To sort of think, eh, okay, yeah. they're going through some shit. <laughs> um, I should sort of, you know, try to understand that rather than just fly off the handle at them and make it all worse. <laughs> so again, oh. I mean, again, this is not particularly something that I've really even thought about before, but you're bringing this thought out in me is that like, you just think again and again, the, the crisis is a gift. You know, people in recovery, they call it glorious rock bottom for a reason. You know, it is a gift, not just in terms of how you treat yourself, but how you treat others. Um, that yeah. said, I'm, you know, the, the the dilemma there is we're both fathers and I'm sure neither of us want our kids to have to go through what we went through in order to arrive at the place we've arrived at. You know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even begin all of this until I was 40. I'm 48 now. And so I'm sat here thinking, oh, it's great, isn't it? We both went through hell and that's why we've come back so stronger and more compassionate sort of thing. But like, you really, really don't want that to happen with your kids. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you know, about how are you, how are you, I don't know, have you got, have you still got the one or have you got more? You've got two, yeah, we've got two. Yeah, same as me, yeah. I mean, what is it that you'll be telling them as they grow up to try and, you know, help them perhaps not, go through what the likes of you and I have. Yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Cause I kind of think like parenting is just a pendulum, right? So we're just trying to do all the opposite to what our parents did. And then it's going to swing back the other way. And when our kids are grown up, they're going to be doing the opposite. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think if you start to understand, once you gain a certain level of self-awareness and I'm not saying this as if I fucking got all the answers and got everything sussed, but you can kind of, I don't know, you can apply some of the therapeutic learnings and tools to how you live your life, right? So you can like live by example. So, you know, I try and talk about how I'm feeling now, you know, and I encourage my kids to do the same. You know, if uh, we're going to school and my son says he's feeling a bit nervous about something, well then rather than, I've got two options there, right? He says, daddy, I feel I feel nervous or normally says, oh, my tummy's hurting. That's what Reese says when he's, when he's mm. nervous. And I've got two options. I can say, nah, you'll be all right, son, come on you know, come on, you'll be fine. Or I can say to him like, why, why does your tummy hurt mate? You know, like, you know, I can, I can ask him why, where does it hurt? What do you mean by hurt? How does that feel? Is there something going on you'd like to talk to me about? You know, I can, uh, I say to him that, you know, sometimes when daddy goes into work, daddy feels nervous too. It's completely normal to feel nervous. And you can just kind of like, I just try and I suppose validate their experience rather than like teach them to to, to bottle it up and that it doesn't matter that if they feel a certain way, that's fine because they're feeling it for a reason rather than saying, because you're a boy or because you're a girl or because you're a child, that your, your feelings aren't just as valid as an adult, you know, uh, it's that whole thing of people always say like, oh, kids are so resilient and I think they're not fucking resilient. They just don't have any say in it because mm. you're saying to them like, you know, oh, just go to your room and get out the way and they do it. Well, that's not fucking resilience. They just can't no. say, no, I'm fucking not doing that. Yeah, you know, what do you know are what the I mean? options? Yeah. yeah they yeah, don't yeah. have a, a say in their life and we think it's because they're extra resilient. It's not, they just have to do it. So yeah, I think, you know, having that kind of understanding of, of, of all the things that I, maybe that I didn't do or I'm learning to do. I mean, 
the importance of crisis, right? I I went to therapy because I was in a mental health crisis, but you cannot do the amount of therapy that I've done without leveling up in other areas of your life. You know, it's like you, you, you go for the one thing, but you get all these other, like all these other therapy gains that you weren't expecting and they kind of creep up on you. Um, and I think if we can just kind of like with kids, you got to lead by example, right? You just got to kind of be honest and, and, yeah, and try and live compassionately and show empathy, and they're hopefully going to pick that up. And you know, just be, uh, yeah, I try and be honest with them, and I try and I used to really worry about it. I used to talk about that in therapy a lot, and I remember saying to a therapist I was working with once, and I was saying to him, I said to him, my biggest fear is that. So my son would have been about two then, maybe, and he said, oh, my biggest fear is in like fifteen years' time, then my little boy is going to be where I am now talking about all these problems, talking about how his dad was mentally ill when he was growing up and how that messed him up. And I remember my therapist said to me, he said, listen, if when your son gets to that age, if he is like emotionally aware enough to know that he needs therapy and he can afford to go private, you've done a fucking good job. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, do you know, do you know what? That That's, that's true, right? You can't, yeah. there, you, you can't be a perfect parent, man. You can't be, but yeah. Um, it's another area we have to show ourselves compassion as well, isn't it? Because it's very easy to beat yourself up every day over what you're doing, it, you know, as a parent. And I, I think that probably played a part in my kind of, you know, breakdown or whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, was the pressure I put myself under to, you know, be kind of perfect in every move I was making. And then you realise there's no perfect way to do it. But I think the way that you've just expressed that about just making your kids allowing your kids to feel seen you know validating their feelings you know showing them showing them love and all the rest of it it's a it's a big thing and i do think it's generational because i think most of us of our generation probably weren't raised in exactly that way you know i think we were left to it a lot i think irrespective of social background or anything i think that a lot of kids of our age that was just the way it was sort of thing and um it's nice that there's now a generation of parents who are sort of you know making compassion and and validating their kids feelings more of a priority yeah man i think i mean if you think about it right so my grandparents um they met while they were both serving in the army during world war ii right wow so when they came back from the war um and they had my dad um and they had fuck all money in a country that was like you know devastated by sending everyone off off to war and had got through everything that came with that and they didn't have anything they didn't have time to validate anyone's feelings they were trying to put food on the table you know and then that was like that was how my parents were were brought up it's like we're sort of the first generation now that are not affected by things like that we've got time to kind of think about validating feelings but you couldn't do it then that's mad like that's it's not that long ago man it's only like two generations back you know yeah. so like if it sometimes feels like things have just sort of overnight a, a, a switch has come on but uh yeah we're the first generation who isn't affected by all that sort of stuff and probably loads of other societal issues that i know fuck all about but yeah i often often think about that how you know you can't validate someone's feelings when you're you know you're just back from a from a war and you're trying to put food on the table and there's no jobs and you know all that sort of stuff yeah man. it's uh, yeah, yeah. Is a is a lot right it's heavy and the societal impact on on how we do things and how that affects mental health that's a big part of the conversation you know we can talk about the brain chemicals and all that sort of stuff and of course that's all fucking valid but as well there's all like environment and society and you know all these other big questions they yeah they affect us as humans right
Tom, it's such a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, you speak so brilliantly about this stuff and thank you for being so honest. Um, uh, and, and thank you for all of the wonderful podcasts you've been making as well. There's a huge number uh, to get through. People can go to propermentalpodcast.com to find them all there. And uh, I think it's doing an amazing job to help people kind of normalise these conversations, mate. So thanks a lot and cheers for joining me. Oh, mate, thank you for having me, man. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks, man. That was Tom Davies, a great bloke who's opening up really important conversations. I can highly recommend his podcast, which can be found via his website, propermentalpodcast.com. All his social links are up there too. Don't forget to subscribe to The Reset if you don't already at samdelaney.substack.com. Paid subscribers get this podcast emailed to them 24 hours before anyone else without any ads. They also get access to exclusive newsletters and live events. So why not give it a go? It's only a fiver a month. What's that? One cappuccino and a biscuit from Starbucks, if you're lucky. Anyway, thanks for listening, gang. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 